All right, Sixers fans. Good thing James Harden's arrival has the team 3-0 and since then. Sixers have won four straight. Still, though, sitting in third in the Eastern Conference. Thank you for joining us for this one. He is Mr. Paul Hudrick. I am the person that no NBA player has ever referred to as Mr., but my name is Jazz Kang. Uh, Paul, first off, I don't want to say it's big news, but it's news for the Sixers, nothing compared to what the trade deadline was like for us. DeAndre Jordan, he was waived by the Lakers, signed now for the Sixers for the rest of the season. 33 years old, feels like he's going on 53 years old because he's been around forever, but what do you think about the Sixers signing a big man? They did have a need right after Andre Drummond was gone in the trade. They did get Millsap back. We saw him sign Willie Cauley-Stein to a 10-day contract, which I believe expires this weekend. When you're looking at at this move, does it make any sense to you? <sighs> I'm, I want to be a little diplomatic here. Um, well, you don't have to be diplomatic, Paul. It's <laughs> the point of the show. <laughs> um, I get it in the sense that backup center is a pretty unsettled position for the Sixers right now, like you alluded to, with Andre Drummond going to the Nets in that trade. Um, which is funny. I saw someone like comment on one of my things and say, oh, this is why I was so mad they had to include Andre Drummond. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> Freaking James Harden. Like, with all due respect to Andre Drummond, what are we doing? Um, but yeah, um, I'm concerned because I I watched DeAndre Jordan play basketball the last two years, and it, it hasn't gone well, uh, quite frankly. I mean, I to defend him a little bit, the Lakers are awful. Like they're an awful basketball team. Like it's not just DeAndre Jordan. And I'm sure the vibes and the play around him probably didn't help him at all. But at the same time, he has, it doesn't instill me with a lot of confidence that he's just going to come in here and going to flip the switch and all of a sudden, you know, be similar to what, you know, DeAndre Jordan from the Clippers. Cause quite frankly, he just, he hasn't been very good since he left the Clippers. I mean, he was like, okay. in Dallas, I guess he had his moments in Brooklyn um, and he was just, he's just been bad for the Lakers this year. So, and I, to me, this clearly this, this signing screams of doc rivers. I mean, this is a guy who who played really well under doc rivers. Deandre Jordan was, a, was an all NBA player under doc rivers in, in LA, but I don't know that like, he's clearly not that guy anymore. Like you said, 33 going on 53. Cause not only cause he's been around, but because sometimes he's looked like he's 53 out on the court. Like he's just hasn't been very good. And look, I hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope that DeAndre Jordan comes in here and he's in the second unit. He's playing with James Harden and all he does is catch lobs and get offensive rebounds, get defensive rebounds and rim protect. I hope that that is what comes to like what they're, what they're expecting. I really hope that is what comes to fruition. Okay, Paul, kill that hope. Okay. Let's be yeah, reasonable I, here. But, okay, yeah, but what ahead. I'm saying, but, but I was getting to the butt part, <laughs> but I don't see it happening that way. And it's just weird. Cause you have a Paul Reed who I can't understand to an extent why Doc Rivers doesn't trust Paul Reed. Paul Reed is a really talented, really dynamic young player, but he does have a tendency to try to do a little too much. And he, that does lead to him making some mistakes, which is not great in a playoff series. It, it's just not. Um, now, Charles Bassey, I, I think you could talk me into Charles Bassey possibly being an option because Charles Bassey, I think, could play really well with James Harden as that, as that lob threat. He's more of a true five than Paul Reed is. Doc Rivers said he wants a rim protector. Charles Bassey had like eight blocks uh, last week in Delaware. Like, I, I think he's capable of protecting the rim. Um, the only concern I have with Bassey is fouls, but he's backing up Joel Embiid. He's only going to play, what, eight to 12 minutes in the playoffs? 
So, you know, I, I know he just got recalled, but he's been up and down all season. So I didn't take that as anything, um, especially with the news coming. Like you said, the, the rumor, you know, the, the word is they're signing DeAndre Jordan going to release Willie Colley Stein. So with that, you probably want to have Bassey in the fold because you don't maybe don't want to throw, you know, DeAndre Jordan right in the mix right away. And there's probably some stuff that has to happen behind the scenes before you can actually play a game. And it's just Doc, just this propensity to just play older guys just because they're older. Like Paul Mill I, and Paul Millsap was a great player. He was an all-star in this league and he still, you know, maybe there's a thing or two he does well. And like, but I'm sorry. Like I, I don't buy it when Doc Rivers tells us after a game that Paul Millsap, ah, well he's, you know, he just got here. He hasn't really played much. He doesn't really know our plays. The guy just doesn't look like he, he, he looks like he's not, there athletically you just can't compete with some of the nba athletes we see at the center position and he's six eight so that doesn't help um i get it again from a veteran perspective he could do some things he can you know he's he's really smart he sets really good screens he, he rolls when it's appropriate he pops when it's appropriate um you know he makes good he's a much better passer than any of the other bigs that you would throw out there but i i don't know i, I just uh, i i have concerns i just i have really big concerns about the backup center position uh, i know a lot of people brought up that toronto series a couple years ago where greg monroe had the most horrific two minutes of basketball maybe ever played in a playoff series in game seven against the raptors so i just keep having flashbacks to that and I, deandre jordan is probably better than greg monroe at that point but i'm I'm not sure that he is. I don't know that for a fact. The only thing I would I, I'll end it on this, Jazz, because this was a long response, so I apologize. But if James Harden pushed for DeAndre Jordan, because they did play together, you know, in Brooklyn last year, if part of this signing is James Harden either either was brought to James's attention and he said, Yeah, like bring on DeAndre. I like that idea, or he went to Daryl Morey or Doc Rivers and said, Hey, can we bring DeAndre on board? Then okay. You know what I mean? That I get it. Like I'm, I'm good with it. Cause give James Harden, whatever the hell he wants right now. Like that's fine. But if this was a, a move to kind of appease doc rivers and, and get him like quote unquote, his guy, I, I, it's, it's, I just really have my reservations about what Deandre Jordan is at this point in his career. Well, Paul, to be fair, you'd give your kidney to James Harden right now if he asked for one based <laughs> off the last three games. But a question for you, though, because I agree with you. I mean, what we've seen from DeAndre Jordan, especially the last couple of years, and like I mentioned, I'm like, damn, he's only 33, you know, might be old in NBA terms, not old generally. And I'm like, he's been around for so long, but we've obviously seen his game deteriorate to a point that you know he's averaging just over four points. Um, looking at his rebounding totals, 5.5 rebounds this year for the Lakers, uh, only playing about 13 minutes a night. But when you're looking at playoff time, right? This is what the Sixers are aiming for. It doesn't matter what the hell happens in the regular season. They can win every game from now on the last 21 and, you know, still losing the first round. That's all anybody's going to care about. But when you look at Joel's minutes, he's at about 33 for the season. Where do you think he's going to be at in the playoffs? Do you think that Doc, and again, given the injury history that we have seen with Joel and knock on wood that he stayed relatively healthy this season, minus the COVID stuff and a few other dings that he had earlier in the year, where do you see him playing? If he's at 37, 38 minutes, you know, it, does that change things for you? Like, okay, we just kind of kind of fill five to 10 minutes or, you know, w without a, a true center. Cause looking around the East, I mean, Brooklyn, depending on what happens, or pardon me, Milwaukee, depending on what happens with Brooke Lopez, um, don't really have a traditional center. The Heat, Bam out of bio. Obviously, you're looking at Vucevic in, in Chicago. These are just some of the teams, you know, around the Sixers in the standings. And even with Brooklyn, it's like, okay, Andre Drummond, not going to kill you. So you can be okay figuring things out. So does that change things for you at all? That when we get into the playoffs, 
we might see Joel get some increased minutes. So you're not as worried about the backup time that the, the backup five is going to get. For sure. But I mean, I just, I just pointed out like in that Toronto series, I think in that game, Joel played like 45 minutes and Greg Monroe played like two and he was a minus nine, like in a game that the Sixers lost on a last second shot. So uh, that's what the concern is. Like, it needs to, and like the bar is so low, Jazz. Like it just needs to not be a complete disaster when 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 Joel leaves the floor. That's it. That's the bar. Not a disaster. Um, and I I, I don't I can't guarantee that with DeAndre Jordan. Now I'll say this maybe because I do I do think like first round you're probably looking at like thirty six ish minutes depending on the opponent depending how tough that series is. I would say thirty six ish minutes. Um, and then and maybe bump it up in the second round. And then from there, it's kind of, you know, it's anyone's guess as far as, you know, Keanu just, I guess, play by ear at that point. But perhaps if I am a super optimist, I'm looking at it like this. Perhaps DeAndre Jordan, knowing he's the backup five, knowing he's going to get 10 to 12, 20, you know, at least in the regular season, 12 to 15-ish minutes with James Harden every night as the backup, with Doc Rivers in this, you know, compete like again, the Lakers obviously that situation is a mess. They are a dumpster fire, the most disappointing team in the NBA to now come into this environment that is a lot more exciting. Perhaps he gets rejuvenated because you don't need that's like again, you don't need much, you just need him to not be horrible. Yeah, just don't um, screw it up. Yeah, you need him to set good screens for James Harden and then roll to the rim and dunk. That's it. And then on the other end, block some shots, grab rebounds. That's it. You don't need him to do a whole hell of a lot. You don't so, want to see him. You don't want to see him throwing three quarter court passes like we no. Did last I yeah. okay. <laughs> pass it to a guard, man. Um, you're not Joel Embiid. Don't do don't don't do that stuff. Um, so yeah, if you're the the if you're an optimist, that could be the argument you could make, and maybe that's what winds up happening. I don't know, but I, I just I have my doubts. It's a. I get what you're saying about you know with Joel playing more minutes in the playoffs, you don't, the role becomes even smaller. But we've seen in the past, despite how small that role is, sometimes it's still. If it's a disaster, it will hurt you. See, I, I'm with you. I like what I've seen from Paul Reed. Again, sporadic minutes, not the time that he has had to play a little bit more when Joel was hurt. We've seen where he still has to mature in his game. Right, uh, defensively, does get a lot of fouls gets out of position in terms of trying to block shots, overcommits on help a few times. Like we've seen that happen, but I'm with you. Like even Charles Bassey, again, second round guy, you're not expecting a ton out of him, but he's flashed some potential. And I think where this is what we saw the Lakers do. Speaking of them, even under Vogel a couple of years ago, where everybody was praising him when they won the championship in the bubble was having the flexibility and he would change things up depending on the opponent. I know I'm not going to compare these guys to backup Dwight Howard, even JaVale McGee and, and these guys, you know what I mean? But you just need one of them to kind of have a strong, like you mentioned, seven, eight minutes. And if Bassey goes out there and plays well one game, kind of doesn't play well the next game, you don't have to go with him a third. And we've seen that with Doc is a stubbornness with the rotation. So I'm hoping just with that five spot specifically, like be a little bit more flexible with it, see who the opponent is, see how the opposite center or the backup five and the other team is playing and kind of figure things out that way. But, you know, as the, you know, the, the analytics guys will say, let's be honest, Paul, Deandre Jordan's th per 36 minutes, 11 and a half points, 10.7 rebounds. No, can't talk. Can't talk you into that at all. Great. No, great. That's, a, that's, that's good for Deandre. Now listen. And again, I, 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 man, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's great. I hope he comes here 
And uh, like I said, I hope he gets re- rejuvenated by being here and playing with James. And I hope that that just rekindles something in him and he can give you a strong 10 to 15 minutes in the regular season and eight to 10 minutes in the playoffs. But I just, I just have serious doubts. Now you did mention something interesting and Doc Rivers actually touched on it last night about the whole idea of like, like a quote unquote hot hand or whatever. Doc Rivers literally said last night, we could do it by committee, but I do not want to do that because he's Doc Rivers. And he he wants, he wants his guy. I was, I'll say this though, because I I don't want to like dump on Doc here because the one thing he did do in the game last night, Furkan Korkmaz, who is, I just quite frankly has been bad this season. He just has, he's had, he was very good last year. He earned that contract. He's been bad this year. He has not been uh, to me. He has not been worthy of a rotation spot on this team. Doc quickly pivoted to shake Milton. Shake Milton hit a couple shots, made, made a nice steal in the second half. Doc went back to shake and didn't even play cork Moss. That gives me like this much hope um, that doc will be maybe more flexible with some things in the future. But I, I, when I looked at that scenario, like it's not close right now that Shake Milton is the guy that that deserves the minute over minutes over Furkan Korkmaz. It's not even really close at the moment. No, that it, we saw that yesterday too, and I'm like, there's a big, big difference. And like you mentioned, but Furk is one of those guys where Doc could bring him off the bench in like a game three in the first round, and he's going to go six for six from the three point line. Again, we're hoping Doc doesn't think, oh, wow, this is going to happen again and again. But he does have the potential to play once good one good game every 20, and it might happen again in the playoffs. So we'll keep an eye on what Doc does in terms of Furt going into the playoffs. Uh, you were in the building last night, James Harden's debut. What was it like for people who weren't there in person? Obviously, we can see the excitement on the screen and, and just seeing how much the fans got into it. S- slow first half, let's be honest. The Sixers did not look good at all and and we saw some of the issues especially in terms of giving up offensive rebounds turnovers but the third quarter fourth quarter just killed the Knicks what was it like for you being there and what was the atmosphere like with all the fans in the building getting to see Harden in person for the first time in his Philly debut the atmosphere was it was like a playoff game It, it certainly felt like it and you know Sometimes you get in the regular season, you get those kind of late arriving crowds. Yeah, no, this was that that arena was packed. Um, even during warmups, Harden literally, it's just people, it's reporters and, and camera people behind the like, you know, behind the basket. It's fans all around the Sixers tunnel, everyone just waiting for him to come out. Like it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy, crazy scene. Then he comes out, gets a huge ovation, uh, goes through his warmups. And I gotta say, like his warmups. If you didn't know who James Harden was, you didn't know what he had done and that, you know, top 75 player of all time and all that, and you just saw this guy warm up, you'd probably think to yourself two things. One, this guy looks like he's a pretty damn good player. And two, this dude takes his craft seriously. Um, you know, his warm up routine is like, no, and that's it, it, honestly, Jazz, that's been the one thing that I've been kind of taken aback by. Like, I, I didn't know what to expect as far as like James Harden as a guy and like as a person and like, you hear all the things, you hear all the rumors, you hear all the strip club stories, you hear all the stuff about him being out of shape, all that. But like, he's at practice. He's the last guy out on the court every time we're at practice. Um, he's doing like all sorts of the different kind of training regimens. He lifts after every single game. He he does that. That's that's his deal. He's the last one to talk after games because of that. Um, so to me, like, he's kind of got this weird reputation for maybe not being a guy who takes care of himself or doesn't take things like seriously. But I, I've it's early, but I've gotten the impression it's the exact opposite. Like this guy is like maniacal. Like he really does all those little things. And that's why he is what he is and why he's been able to accomplish what he's accomplished is that he has put in that work and that he does stick to that regimen and all that. But 
you know, and then beyond that, he gets introduced and I was a little taken off guard because I didn't think he'd be the first guy introduced. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> clearly Joel is the last guy out. That's been his spot for however many years now. He's the last guy called out basically since his rookie year. I think he's been the last one out um, for good reason. So, but yeah, he was the first guy off the bat. Matt Cord gives in. He does the beard. James Harden. It was awesome. Um, crowd freaks out. And yeah, the, the like you said, it was a slow start. So like, well, I will say the first possession, he the first two times he touches the basketball, like everyone just yells and it's like, holy crap, like this is nuts. Like everyone's just, it was just fervent. And then he hits, he gets the first basket and then one, then he hits the step back three. You could just, you could feel it. You could just feel the juice in the building. And he played into it. He loved every bit of it. And it was, it, it's, and I wrote about it today. Like it's early. It's honeymoon phase, like 100%. And I get all that. But so far, like the, the Philly fans love him and he's feeling it. And he's, it's really, it's, it's a vibe. Like the vibes are just so good right now. And Jazz, we talked about it all season. Like the vibes around this team have been really good all year. Uh, I think that the Ben Simmons situation kind of galvanized them. And now you're adding, you're just adding a guy like Harden to the mix. And I think he, it's, it's him coming into this positive environment. I think he's feeding off that and he's feeding off the energy and the positivity around the team and the, and the, and the fans and all that. And I think it, it's just a, a lot of good things right now. And look, they're going to hit some speed bumps. Things are going to not go right. They're not going to win every single game that they play, but you could just, you, there's just this feeling, this vibe around this team that this is, this is real. Like the, they, this team has a legitimate shot to do something special. Um, and, you know, James Harden, it's because of James Harden that, 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 that those vibes are here. Paul, I want to ask you that too, because you mentioned the vibes around the team and regardless if Simmons was there or not, there was a kind of a dark cloud over the organization and dark cloud down the sense that it was, Oh, this is so negative and toxic dark cloud in the sense that there's a very big unknown variable here with Ben Simmons absence, right? We don't know if this is going to be corrected. Now I'm going back to last year, the end of end of 2021. Like we don't know if this is going to be fixed before February 10th. We don't know if he's still going to be around going into the playoffs. And again, we talked about this many times before the Harden trade was made, which is that it's probably a second round team without, you know, Ben Simmons on the court. Now that they've made the deal and you've been at practice and you've you know been at the media availabilities, what has the mood been like? like uh, comparing to what it was, let's say, you know, a month ago, February 3rd, where Ben Simmons was still on the roster, obviously not with the team, but how do you find the difference? What do you find has been the biggest difference between the two, just given what's happened over the last month or so? There is, it's hard to describe, but it's almost a looseness. Like they all, like there's certainly a, a weight lifted that they don't have to think about it. Don't have to talk about it. Don't have to be asked about it. But at the same time, a renewed focus, like they all get it. Like, you know what I mean? Like they get it. Like James Harden is here. So this, this is it. Like we have to try to win a championship and five touched on that and shoot around yesterday. He basically said like, you know, we're going to be favorites and we're going to have a target on our back. And that's the reality of where we are right now. So we have to be ready every single night to play. And then you have a guy like Tyree Smith. And that's what's cool too, guys. Like Tyrese Maxim and T Cyber, they're two young guys and they just get it. Uh Joel Embiid literally on a Joel Embiid has played with Jimmy Butler, and he said that Tyrese Maxey is the hardest worker he's ever been around. Think about that. Jimmy Butler, Mr. I wake up at 3 a.m. for, for a noon practice. That guy, um, 
Ty, he said Tyrese Maxey works harder than him. And it's you see it. You see it. And Doc Rivers talked about it last year. Like when they look at because they clock the minutes that every guy spends in the gym. And Tyrese Maxey was by far the most active player. They had to tell him to go away sometimes because they didn't want him to overdo it. Like that's how much this kid wants to be good and how, how much better he wants to be. And it shows itself on the court on a nightly basis. So it's how we feel about you, Paul, at Liberty Ballers. Like, take a break already, Paul. Go, shut <laughs> up. Leave us alone. But yeah. <laughs> Definitely. No, I can see that. There's probably a few of our guys that feel that way about me. No, but um, and I just I, I think too, and this is not this isn't a knock on Ben Simmons when I say this. Because last year I actually thought, you know, and I, I've covered Joe and Ben their basically their entire careers while they've been here. Um last year was their best year as far as chemistry as far as them getting along and talking more and all that like i thought they were in a really good place last year that's why it was so crazy the way things went down to me because they seemed at their height they seemed at their best as far as the relationship between the two of them with that said their personalities never seemed to mesh greatly um that just it didn't seem like there were two guys that like just were an easy fit personality wise again they didn't not get along like they always got along. And I thought last year they got along better than they ever had. But you just see something different with with Harden. Um, ben was more and it's funny because I think about it and like I, I I've never covered Kevin Durant, so I, I can't speak to 100 percent. But the vibes I get from his personality, I feel like jive more with Ben. And then I feel like James's personality jives more with Joel's. I, I just it's just this, I can't even describe it to you. Like, again, it's, it's James. Like he likes to have fun. He likes to, you know, he's loose and all that, but at the same time, he knows when it's game time and he knows when to say what, and you know what I mean? And I think Joel kind of is like that too. Whereas I think Ben is more of a lead by example, kind of a guy and more of a, I, I don't even know how to put it. Like he, he's, I don't want to say a lone wolf kind of guy, but kind of like, that's just kind of his personality. Like, and I, I don't, there have been plenty of guys who have been lone wolves that have won championships and been great NBA players. So I don't mean that as a knock. That's just his personality. Whereas I think James fits more into this group better. Um, like I like the one quote, if you didn't see it from Tyrese Maxey last night, he said that at halftime, James Harden went up to him and said, hey, are, are you going to play today or what? And like little things like that where James, one, feels comfortable doing that. And two, Tyrese Maxey w- welcomes it because, I mean, Quite frankly, Tyrese welcomes it from everybody. He's just that. That's just his his way, like his demeanor and the way he works. But um, I just think there is a, a comfortability with, with everybody. And I think Doc put it a certain – I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but in essence, like everybody there wants to be there and everybody wants to be a part of this. And that's not always the case. Um, and that's not, that's not something that happens every single year, but – you get a vibe that this team right now, every guy that's a part of it wants to be a part of it. And that's that's like half the battle. Yeah, and you could see that on the court. Just the chemistry and, and the looseness, like you mentioned, that they're playing with. Uh, obviously, it helps So you have one of the best players in, in the NBA on your roster coming in. Well, but yeah, you know what? <laughs> I mean, just met with Harden joining you sure. know, before. But I mean, you're right. The two of the top five, arguably, 10 for sure, I would say. Uh, but, you know, looking at it from, from that perspective, Paul, like I see the difference, right? When they're on the court, the way the ball's moving, the, the way their energy is, not getting too down when things weren't going their way yesterday in that first half against the Knicks where, okay, we're turning the ball over a lot. 
we're making, you know, Emmanuel quickly look like he's a, a 10 time all-star. Like what is going on here? You know what I mean? But all, overall you're, you're looking at the chemistry of the team, which I think, like you mentioned, is very important. And I agree with you hundred percent on that, Paul is you're looking at the personality, the, di- the dynamic of the fit where Joel might be a little bit more fun off the court, likes to joke around, talkative, gets everybody involved. But when it's game time, it's game time. And whereas with Ben, doesn't really seem like he likes to mix too much off the court. Like you mentioned, does his own thing. And that's not a knock on him. That's just his personality. Whereas Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, two guys who definitely have fallen maybe into that category over their careers that they don't really like to do too much. That was a problem with, well, not a problem, but that was something between KD and the Warriors was those guys like to hang out off the court. They would do dinners. They would do whatever. He just wasn't into it. Again, not a knock on him, but that is a difference. And I, I'm seeing that the way they're playing on the court. And you mentioned this guy a few times, Tyrese Maxey. Paul, I wanted to jump into a couple more things with you. Let's do that after a short break. We saw what he did not only yesterday, and again, small sample size, considering you played back-to-back games against the Knicks, but you're looking at him averaging 24.7 points over the last three games, um, shooting the rock amazingly well at 64%, also shooting 64% from three. You saw that step back, the other miracle three that he had where he was trying to get a screen and roll going with Joel that didn't really work, and he just kind of turned and heaved it and it went in. How much of an impact do you think Harden's had on Tyrese already? And do you think... Again, I'm not, it's very early, so I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, Tyrese Maxey, you get a future, you know, first team all in. Like, we don't, we don't know that yet. But do you think it's sustainable for a second-year guy to keep up what he's doing so far over the three games throughout the season, regular season now and into the playoffs? Well, first things first, um, what James Harden and Tyrese Maxey have done the last three games is completely unsustainable. <laughs> um, they're just, it's, I think James Harden, is his true shooting percentage is like, 79.2 through three games, which it's like astronomical. Like that's that, that is not going to continue. Like I said before, they're going to lose some games. They're going to hit some rough patches bound to happen. It's just sure. part of it. Um, But do I think that Tyrese Maxey can continue to play at a high level next to James Harden? Yes, uh, absolutely. You already look at the way Tyrese Maxey kind of transcended his game to start the year. You know, the opportunity he got with Ben Simmons, not, you know, not wanting to be here anymore and how that opened up that that role for him to be on the ball more. And now I think what you're seeing is he's less on the ball. And it's actually, I think it, it's, I think sometimes a guy like Maxi, who, who works really hard, who's really coachable, who wants to do everything right. Guys like that have a tendency to think too much and just not let their instincts kick in and play. Even if they have really good instincts, sometimes they just, they, they want, they want to do well so badly that they, that they overthink. I think now that Harden is here, Maxi doesn't have to do that. He's just playing. And I yeah. think that's what you're seeing right now is that he's just hooping. Like he's not, he's not worried about getting this guy a touch. He's not worried about this pass, this read, getting them into this set. He's just playing. He's just literally running full speed, full speed down the other end of the court, waiting for an outlet pass uh, from James Harden or, you know, waiting for an open three in the corner or to attack an over aggressive closeout. Like he is just playing. And, yeah, I mean, to me, like, we want to keep talking about Harden and Embiid, but this is like, this might be a big three. Like, th- mm-hmm. this might be, there might be three stars in Philadelphia. Like, I think that is not a crazy thing to stay uh, to say. Maxi is clearly still developing. He's only twenty one years old, but the sky's the limit. You talk about the shooting, and yeah, like he's not going to shoot sixty five percent from three, but he's at forty percent. This is a guy that shot below thirty at Kentucky from three. He is now in his second NBA season above at 40. That is an elite mark. 
Um, and to your point, he's hitting step back threes. This isn't just, oh, catch and shoot wide open. No, he's hitting them off the dribble. He's hitting them off screens. He's hitting them. He is hitting them off catch and shoot. Like it's what he's done. His improvement is like astronomical. It's unbelievable. And it speaks to what I talked about before, the work this guy puts in. And I just, I can't help but think like, there's no going back. Like he's not going to go backwards. He's only going to go forwards with the way, with the work he puts in and what he does. And with James Harden here to help him improve and kind of, you know, give him the little, the little nuggets of information and knowledge that are going to make him better. I think this is a star in the making. And uh, to me, like, I don't want to think too far ahead as far as the, you know, cause the, the, the Sixers have a chance to win a championship this year. So I don't want to think, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if they ultimately fall short, in this offseason, like my mind is with all due respect to Tobias Harris, I'm trying to move that contract for like spare parts for like perimeter defenders and, and, and shooting specialists. And I'm gearing up to offer Tyrese Maxey that rookie max the day I can give it to him. Like that's where my head is when I think about, you know, roster construction in the future. So to me, I said before the season started, I thought this kid was a star in the making. He's done nothing to disprove that. And I think with James Harden, it's only up to that. Um, you see what that trio of, uh, of what they've done. And yeah, I, I mean, it looks like a big three to me. It, it's not just two. It, it's a big three. Oh, he's played, he's played himself into that. And, you know, I think looking at, as you mentioned, Tobias Harris's role previously, where you had Joel, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, you needed Tobias Harris to be your number two scoring option sometimes, number three scoring option, definitely, um, even if Ben wasn't wasn't the greatest scorer. But now, and like I saw Stephen A. Smith say this on ESPN, it was before the game inside, and it was so indicative of how little he's watched the Sixers play throughout the season. He's like, well, you know, and James Harden uh, comes in, they need Tyrese Maxey to be the dominant point guard. It's like, dude, have you watched them play? Like, what are you talking about? Because I'm with you, like seeing Tyrese in that slasher spot, that is perfect for him where he's catching the ball in the wing. And like you mentioned, those wing guys, and it's very hard to do this. It doesn't matter what level of basketball you play at, trying to slow down your closeout enough that you're going to be able to contain a guy from blowing past you. And he is just so fast. He's like a medium mighty mouse. You know what I mean? Like he's not small, but he's just like so quick with the ball in his hands that this role suits him perfectly where he doesn't have to set the table from the top of the key and trying to read and be the, the immediate guy on the, on the pick and roll and trying to find either the, the, the role or the pop He's better without the ball in his hands at the top. If the ball gets swung to him, he can. He's, as you mentioned, consistently hitting threes at a, at a clip that uh, is, as you mentioned, elite, elite, hitting over forty percent. And the way he's being able to slash and, and get to the rim and finish at the rim, like this is his best position that he's in right now, having another ball dominant guy with him. So that's why I was like, listen to the ESPN guys talk about it a bit before, and I'm like, what? Is, like, have you not watched a single game of Tyrese Maxey play? Um, that, they to- watch James like James Harden might be the smartest basketball player I've ever covered. This guy sees the court at like right now in, in the history of the, uh, of basketball, the two greatest pick and roll players ever might be playing in James Harden and Chris Paul. Um, That's how good James Harden is and how smart he is. He reads and reacts to defenses at a higher level than I've, I've seen like any player that, like I said, any player that I've covered, certainly um, when you look at, you know, some of the best in the league, Chris Paul, certainly up there, LeBron even, James, even better than Michael peak. Carter Williams, who Michael Carter Williams. Oh yeah. He's good. <laughs> sure. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, there it's this bizarre thing where like James Harden, because he's a really good scorer, people just think he's, that's all he does. But 
This guy also led the league in assists. Um, he's second in the league in assists right now behind Chris Paul. Like this guy is one of the best passers in the NBA. He is so smart. And yeah, Maxi has always been an off ball player. It was not until this year that he became a point guard. So you're going to tell me he should be playing point guard over James Harden right now. Like it's just, it, it makes no sense. And not only that, like it's, it's 2022. It's, it's all positionless. You give James Harden the ball, you let him work and then you figure it out. And so far that's worked out pretty damn well for the Sixers. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm with you just how smart Harden is as a player and the way he's able to dictate the game. And it's, again, you're looking at him now at 32, not exactly the fastest player in the league, but still able to beat guys off the dribble consistently still gets fouled a ton because he puts himself in the right position when he's going up with the ball, uh, whether he's holding it a little bit higher or lower, depending on the angles where he's going to get fouled. You just let him do his thing. And you got Joel Embiid, obviously we didn't even talk about how great Joel Embiid has been because we're gushing over Harden and Maxi. You add him to the equation and yeah, I'm with you. The Sixers are going to be a major problem for the Eastern conference come time for the playoffs. I want to jump into one more thing with you, Paul, which is kind of looking at the at the smaller, like micro picture before we get into the bigger things. Tobias Harris struggled a bit for the first two games, looked a little bit better yesterday against the Knicks. How do you think he's going to fit in? I mean, obviously, you're going to be paying this guy $35 million a year, uh, roughly, you know what, and going up a little bit uh, over the last couple of years of that deal. But do you think that He's in a good position. Like I, I think to buy again, not going to, he's overpaid. That's not, not earth shattering what I'm saying there. I'm not saying anything ridiculous. Uh, still a pretty damn good NBA player, but do you think he's in a position now that best suits him again, taking the salary away, but just looking at his game and his fit now that Harden is here. Do you think he's going to be more of a, I don't want to say important piece, but because um, his role has diminished with, with Harden there, but do you think he's in a, in a better fit for him given this roster's composition than it was a month ago? I would have thought yes, but uh, I'm kind of leaning no after watching three games. I just, you know, and I, you've seen it. I've seen it more than once where like James Harden has quite frankly gotten frustrated because Tobias, he'll pass the ball to Tobias for a wide open three and he'll pass it up and he'll dribble. And it, it, like, I, there is a, I do think there is a path to Tobias Harris being a fit. I think that's not impossible. I don't think that's crazy to say, um, but he hasn't shown it yet. And, and I think kind of going back to what we talked about with Maxi, I think Tobias Harris is, it, it, he's his own worst enemy. He just overthinks the game so much. If he just makes like Doc Rivers harps on him all the time, make quick decisions. You're wide open from three, take the damn three. Like, don't think about it. Just take it. Um, and you need like the Sixers need that James Harden and Joel Embiid need that. They need him to just take threes. And like, that's, it's funny. Cause I, I did a, a radio hit er, earlier this week and someone asked like, Oh, what's the sweet spot for Tobias? Like, what, what do you think he needs to average points wise? And I'm like, I don't think that matters. What matters is the three point attempts. Those numbers need to be high. He's always been a good efficient shooter, but never high volume. I think the volume's got to go way up. And I think that's his best path. If he really wants to help this team, and, he, and I, I do believe he does. I think he is a team player. I do believe he's all about winning. I don't think that's just talk with him. I think he's a guy who walks the walk with, with stuff like that. But I think his best way to help the team is jack up more threes and just make quick decisions and don't let the ball stick. Um, I thought he was, to your point, better with that uh, against the Knicks, but it's still he still needs a work in progress. Like there was one... Uh, a sequence where he actually makes a really nice move on Julius Randle and takes a little floater. And it was a good shot. It just rimmed out, which 
it happens. Like you, you miss some shots, but then the next possession, he dribbles into traffic, turns it over. Then the next possession, wide open three passes it up. And it's like, that's that. Like he can't let stuff like that snowball. Like he, he's just gotta, he's just gotta keep, he's gotta get out of his own head. I think. And again, let instincts take over. He can't overthink it out there. Yeah, and we've seen that from him throughout the year. I do think he's been better, especially on the defensive end. He's taken on some tougher defensive assignments over the past few weeks. Uh, looking at how he grows offensively, again, that's going to be another dynamic we have to look at. And if he's struggling, and let's just say he's not taking those shots or missing a lot of those threes, does Doc have the wherewithal to be like, I got to get this guy off the court? And I think that's, no. yeah, we haven't seen that. And I think, you know, I think based off our entire conversation here, Paul, our, our first one really since since the deal went down in terms of Harden's actually played, is Doc Rivers. That is going to be a factor into all this, how he decides to put out his rotations, how he decides to make his subs, how he decides to run things based off game flow. Do I need to get this guy out of here or does he try? Because we've seen that he trusts, especially the veterans and says, hey, this guy will play himself out of it. You know, let's just let him figure it out where at points it might've been better for him to make a change and maybe go with the young guy. That is something I think everyone's going to be keeping an eye on. Let's wrap up with this ball. The schedule a whole lot tougher now. They got 10 games coming up, nine of them against teams that are at least in play-in position. Uh, the Raptors, the only one there uh, that are just kind of sitting outside the, the the actual playoff picture in terms of the top six, a game against the Orlando Magic, which I think we might see Joel Embiid get a rest there, hopefully uh, against a sad sack team like Orlando. But do you anticipate the Sixers are going to hit any, like a lot of roadblocks here over these next 10? Because you're looking at this, it goes, and I'll read it out, Cleveland, Miami, Chicago, Brooklyn, that magic game that I mentioned, which is on the road at home against Denver back against Cleveland, then Dallas, Toronto, Miami. Like, how do you think they're going to do over this stretch now that they have Harden? And let's be real. These are very good teams. They have great coaching staff, so they're going to be doing their homework. Okay. What's worked for the Sixers? What hasn't? Let's try and put them into a position that we're trying to exploit some of their weaknesses. So how do you think this, these next couple of weeks are going to play out for the Sixers? There's definitely some really stiff tests in there. I mean, look, I, I think, when I look at just this weekend, like Cleveland at home and then at Miami on Saturday, that's a brutal back-to-back. -back. Like that's basically the NBA is trying to give you a loss like with that schedule. That's, well, we thought in October brutal. that this was the first one was going to be a win. So let's not, you know what I mean? Because nobody expected. Sure. No one expected the guys to be this good. That's fair. No, that's fair. But still, then having to go on the road to my against Miami, I mean, that that's brutal. Yeah. Um. So to me, like if you split that, I think you live with it. You can't, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a, that's a really brutal two game stretch right there. Um, if you win both, then oof, that really starts up in the ante on where you are. But yeah, I mean, and I've mentioned this multiple times, like they're, they're going to hit some snags. It's stuff's going to go wrong. James Harden is not going to have a 79.2 true shooting percentage for the rest of the regular season. Tyrese Maxey is not going to shoot 65% from three for the rest of the regular season. So, um, but I, so I'll say this, like, I think, through three games, they've been balanced as far as literally all of Embiid, Harden, and Maxi have all gotten at least 20 in each of the three games. Mm -hmm. That's not going to keep up. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to have three guys average 20 points, most likely. Um, so I would, but, but that's why it's so valuable to have Joel Embiid, who could give you 50 on a given night. James Harden, who could give you 50 on a given night. Tyrese Matthew can give you 30 on a given night. Even Tobias Harris, who, before James Harden got here, averaged around 20 points a game. You have other options. And I think that's what's that's what's going to come. The, and that's going to be the true test for Tobias Harris as well. When other teams really load up and they do everything humanly possible to stop James Harden and, and Joel Embiid, 
still might not work because it's really hard to double team two guys. But when that happens and teams do a really good job of stopping those two, can Tobias Harris make them pay? Uh, that is going to be a huge, a huge thing. And then, yeah, like what happens? And 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 you know, if they do lose a couple games, does a certain team provide a blueprint for others to perhaps slow them down? So yeah, there there, there are going to be some really tough, stiff tests. This this March run is a really tough, tough schedule. But listen, if they come out the other end of it and and they look pretty good, then you start you know your eyes start turning to the playoffs and start thinking that this team has a chance to go on a run. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, 21 games left on the schedule. I mentioned basically 10 right there that are top-notch games, in my opinion, just in terms of the NBA. doesn't matter where you're looking at the landscape, east or west. Uh, those are going to be big games. Looking at the standings, Paul, we'll wrap up with this. The Heat, two games up on the Sixers, obviously. As you mentioned, going to be tough on, the, on a back-to-back, but trying to get a win there, they'll be within a single game. Uh, only half a game behind Chicago for, for second in the east, and then you got Milwaukee, uh, Cleveland, Boston, everybody right there. The Nets, and I wanted to ask you this, the Nets sitting in eighth right now, three games behind the Raptors for the seventh seed. doesn't really matter there because if that ends up being the play-in matchup, they'll play that one in Toronto. Um, doesn't look like Brooklyn's going to catch up that four and a half games over that they have on Boston behind Boston and, and Cleveland in order to climb up into sixth. Does that scare you at all to see KD, possibly a healthy Ben Simmons, and Kyrie Irving as a round one matchup at the Sixers finish, let's say, with the two seed? It's not the one I would have picked for them, um, but I, I, it's there's really no team that like I look at and say like all right th- like the sick like this is going to be a cakewalk like re- I, I think every team that they could possibly play is going to be hard. Boston's played really well. Um, Atlanta's kind of Jekyll and Hyde it a little bit, but they've had times where they've been really good. You mentioned Toronto. Toronto's been outstanding since they've been healthy. Um, their depth is a little tricky, but in the playoffs, you, you kind of cut your rotation like down anyways. And they'll be back in a couple of weeks too, so yeah. Absolutely. So they that's a really dangerous thing. Like, there are no gimmies in the Eastern Conference this year. There really aren't. So uh, do I prefer to play Brooklyn in the first round? No, but at the same time, you, you're going to have to play a good basketball team, most likely, in the Eastern Conference in the first round. That, that That's not just for the Sixers. That's everybody. You think Miami wants to play Brooklyn in the first round? No, no, no. Like, do you think anyone wants to play Boston in the first round right now the way they've been playing? No, like the, these are teams that are playing really good basketball right now. So yeah, the Eastern Conference is going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, I was talking about it with Dave early on the on the postgame pod yesterday. I'm like, Chicago, Cleveland, those are the two. And they're, they're both really good. Sure. Like, you know, I'd almost rather have Chicago than Cleveland, to be honest with you. I just think the Cavs are young and they're going to be hungry and uh, old teams win in the NBA. We've seen that, that teams typically have had to take their lumps for a year or two before they go on a, a deeper run. But still, I mean, yeah, looking around, like, do you want to play Milwaukee in the first round? No. Do you want to play Miami? In the f- no. Like, you can go down the line. And that's what makes this season so exciting. I think for the first time, not only covering the sport, but as a basketball fan for 25, 30 years now, you're looking at this and saying, I have no clue who's going to come out of the East, who's going to come out of the West. And it's very rare that we have this opportunity. So I, I think we're we're in for a great few months here as we get through the stretch drive of the season and into the playoffs. Paul, let's wrap things up there. Um, you're going to be covering the team a lot. Just one final thing from you. How excited are you personally to be doing this right now at this time? Because you've, you've only been working with us at SB Nation for what? Maybe what, four or five months now, right? Six months. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is fun. I mean, this is the most fun and the most excitement I can remember around the team since the Jimmy Butler trade and, you know, and, and unfortunately that playoff run ends in a game seven. I was there in Toronto when Kawhi hits that shot and that ball 
I swear to God, it looked like it was going to hit the ceiling of the arena and it hung up there for like 10 seconds. It was, it was crazy. Um, so like, this is the most excitement I've felt for this basketball team since then. And even this is up a notch. Like, you know, I grew up obsessing with Allen Iverson. Like that was my guy. That's the reason I, I cover basketball now is from, you know, watching Allen Iverson growing up. And uh, that was where my love of basketball came from. So like the excitement is probably there like 2001. Like that's probably where we're at as far as excitement for this team. And I look at it, the whole landscape of Philly sports and like, since maybe the Phillies, you know, I mean, clearly the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but that was like a little bit of a lightning in a bottle thing when Wentz went down and Foles took over and all that. Like that was a really crazy situation. But uh, like as far as like a, a trade and like the momentum and all that, like it's like the Phillies runs in like the late, you know, like 2008 to 2010. Like that, that's the level we're at right now, I feel like with the Sixers. And it's it is a special time to be a Sixers fan. And it's the energy in the city. It's just wild right now. And it's it, it is. It's awesome to be a part of it. Uh, we're looking forward to, to having you all covered with this. Thanks for, for joining us on this episode. Paul, we're going to have the team covered online with LibertyBallers.com, yourself, Dave Early, Steve Lipman, Harrison Grango down the line. We have a ton of great writers, Jackson Frank, and we're going to have you covered on our Liberty Ballers podcast network as well. Don't forget to subscribe. Always appreciate a five-star review. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your fix. You can catch us there. And uh, we'll be doing these a lot more as we get into the playoffs. Looking forward to it, Paul. Always good talking to you, man. And we'll do this again soon. Sounds good.